0: Welcome to Is There There There, the podcast from Graphic Machine that goes beyond the surface of marketing. Each week we explain how news and trends from around the world are shaping marketing. This week's topic is all about you.
1: Or is it all about me? It is all It is all
0: about you and me and each of us as individuals. What we're going to be talking about is that thing that happens when you're working on a project where you got it finished, everybody's signed off on it, and somebody somewhere in the process says, oh, I just wanna change this one thing. And the thing that they wanna change is by and large, usually not necessary, it doesn't impact anything for the better, but it's the desire to put a personal stamp on the project. Sometimes that can just be a momentary pain, other times it could completely derail the project. I'm right here. I know you're nodding very emphatically. <laughs> <laughs> so you've had experience with this, yes?
1: Well, I think we all have. But uh, the no, just you, just me. Yeah, no. I uh, it's it can often be in any kind of project or any sort of process when you're dealing with more than one person and sometimes in corporate culture, a desire to prove that you're bringing value to the process. And the way that you prove your value is by altering something in some way. When is it appropriate to bring that value? And when is it appropriate to say, you know what, this is great. I want, you know, I'm helping support the effort to make it happen, but I don't have to have, you know, that shade of red be the thing that I said was the thing we should do.
0: Don't presuppose that the contribution that you're making is value. A colleague had a client who was very, very, very close to finishing the project. And at the very last minute, somebody in the organization said, uh, I really wanna change this shade of blue from this shade to this other shade for no other reason than they just wanted to change it. And it ended up costing the company a substantial amount of money to redo everything. Most of them were print pieces. And it didn't increase the number of people that were engaged with the product. So technically, did they bring value? I don't even know that you could say technically they did. They made a contribution <laughs> in that they said something.
1: We've all done this at various points in our in our lives. You know, we were in a project and we really wanted to be part of it. And I'm putting air quotes around it, even though you can't see that uh, currently. <laughs> we don't see that things are kind of unfolding, and we just kind of have to let them unfold. Instead, we try to sort of force this into into being so it comes from the same place where it's this sort of egocentric view of me as this person that needs to be out in front of this as opposed to the person that is kind of just along for the ride. And neither 100% of the time is great. But finding that balance has been a really that, that can be very challenging.
0: I don't think it's an either or though, it's finding the value, the true value, not the hardware store. So in a large project, when is it that you're contributing? Are you contributing from the get-go? Are you sitting in on the meetings? Are you providing feedback? Are you providing support? Or are you kind of going along quietly until the end of the project and then you find the some little thing that you could change so that you can say that you did something? And I think it's the latter that causes the problem. If you wanna demonstrate your value, you wanna feel involved, whether it's an ad campaign or a cookbook or a building project, you kind of have to be there from the beginning, I think, or at least the middle
1: you're in the middle of a project. There's not really a way to to stop this from happening. That's been the, you know, that's the real challenge I think often is that you want to say to people like, okay, seriously, this isn't doing anything, but is a recipe for disaster and often ends up with a lot of hurt feelings and and people feel like they're not valued. So which is what's causing it in the first place. Right. So what would you think would be valuable to maybe recognize this in themselves? Or even if, what would you want to hear if you were, if you were doing this to maybe, you know, like shake that can of pennies to get you to, to stop?
0: I mean, I'm, I'm sure I have done it. Um, and I don't know that, I don't know that it can, the issue can be addressed by going after or trying to change the behavior of the person that's doing this. I think you have to change the circumstances. So the advice I gave to this friend of mine was on the next project, carve out some piece of it that doesn't impact the cost, doesn't impact the timing, and make that something that's up for discussion, up for grabs, can be changed until the last minute. You've identified people in the organization that that like to behave this way. So keep that little piece of thing. Go to them at the end of the project and say, you know, what do you think we should do here?
1: But do you think that there's any value in looking at the beginning of a process and there you know these people exist in every organization of mm-hmm. a certain scale and how do you you know one what are the things that you want to look out for because i think one of the things that often i find surprising is that there can be people that you're like oh this is going to be great but you get into a process with them and it's like oh that's really surprising that you're really digging in your heels about this particular thing
0: in my own experience things to watch out for are Uh, People involved in the process who agree with you about everything from the get-go, who are just gung-ho, everything that you say is right, everything that you say is a good solution. That's just human nature. That's never, ever going to be factually true. I know myself well enough to know I do not have 100% of good ideas all the time. And if somebody's responding to you like they do, like you do, then what that has meant in my experience is... They have different opinions, but they're storing them up until the end. They're not comfortable with confrontation, and they're going to wait until the project is at a point where there's very little that you can do to change it to say
1: what they want to say. Turning introspective, as I often do, um, mm-hmm. what's the way, you know, like, I guess for me, the thing that is is identifying it in yourself, because I think that, you know, having, I'm, I know that this has happened to me in the past, where you get sort of, entrenched in that emotional pull for this idea that you really wanted to see become a reality. And having that moment where you let it go, that is the hardest part. And I I often feel like, you know, maybe I can't worry too much about like this person in a meeting that I might in this uh, fantasy world later have this meeting where this person is there, but I can definitely do something about me. So it's difficult, though, because that emotion comes up where you're saying, like, oh, I, that that shape, that's the shape that I wanted. That's the shape that does this thing. And you can't see beyond it. It's like a, this huge blind spot. You know, I actually think that's probably the best title for this is the Blind Spot Edition.
0: <laughs> you're doing
1: it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: So, yes. Illustration 1A. Yeah. So... <laughs> my point is like you know how how can you stop how can you find that space even in the heat of that moment where you're like going down that road and you become gung-ho on this idea and you have to have it you know what are the things that you can maybe put in, put in place for yourself to maybe stop that
0: I think you have to train yourself to not what's <laughs> easier said than done To not look at it that way, but at the same time to also look at it that way. And it sounds like some sort of Zen Cohen, but what you have to do is carve out the space that both contains all of your passion for doing a really good job and delivering the best thing that you can deliver, and also contains your acknowledgement that this project is not the sum total of who you are as a person or a professional.
1: I think that's the trick, definitely, is the... The amount that you care, there's a direct relationship, at least for me, in how, how much I care about something versus how strongly I feel about the way that it should be executed.
0: I've found it helpful to shift the focus of the caring from the work to the client. And that's counter to what most business gurus will say. But for me, when I'm trying to do what's best for the client, because I care about the client's success and the client being able to continue what I'm doing you know and have it be sustainable then i'm able to say okay i really wanted x y thing mm-hmm. but at the end of the day that's not what's serving the client best and let it go because my ultimate focus is what is best for the client not i have to see this piece of work go out in this format for this client if I really love a particular thing, I should just do it myself, Yeah, you know, and put it out. And then, yes, it lives and I can be happy. But trying to force what I think is the right thing, you have to advocate for your idea and you have to advocate for what's best. But sometimes it's not what you think it is. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Very cold.
1: <laughs> <steely> <laughs> stare. Hardly. Blue seal. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, uh, I think that sums that up pretty nicely actually oh thank you yeah
0: so next we will talk about uh now and next see how i did that next Mm -hmm. and now now and next uh where we we (laughs) where we discuss things that are going on now and why you should care about them and things that are coming up on the horizon and why you should care about them
1: so we kind of uh teed this up in the last episode that uh since this is a um political year, very political year, that we'll be looking at maybe a little bit more, at least in some aspects of the show, maybe at the top of the show, maybe sometimes in the now next section, that there will be some political aspects to the piece. And it's not so much about uh, having a point of view, but more the way that the marketing is shaping the presidential race and the sort of interesting tidbits to take away from it. Today's now for me is uh, is based on business insight. Their primary focus was obviously very much business focused initially, but over time they've grown to be more of a contemporary, I would say a BuzzFeed, more than uh, CNN, if you were to, to draw up a relationship. What is particularly interesting is the way that they have, for, they've had a very innovative ways of targeting the news cycle, and that they have these news pieces that are either animated video bits, they are, uh, you know, telling stories through their social media feeds, they are using a lot of really inventive things, at least to my eye, that have uh, we haven't really seen in that space before. However, as the presidential cycle begins to unfold, it becomes far more pedestrian, it seems like, um, because especially in their social feeds, it is a common element and I would say at least once a day at this point from what I've been able to gather where the only refrain for their Facebook post is uh-oh <laughs> is at the top of the thing it's quite literally it there. literally says uh-oh uh-oh yeah and it might what? be they'll post an article that comes from the site and their comment will be uh-oh and I I understand that... It's like
0: that, a six-year-old running their Facebook page. Correct. So
1: <laughs> it's on the one hand, yeah, you're trying to reach the broadest spectrum of people to come to your site and you're getting your traffic, but targeting people in this kind of pedestrian way is really kind of sad. Well, it
0: definitely, it, it harkens back, I think, to the adding value. Yeah. You know, it's like somebody told them, you always have to add a comment, so they're adding a comment. Yeah. <laughs> Technically. Uh,
1: what I'm finding more and more interesting is that there's often been a view of whether or not a particular organization is interested in one candidate or another, and their biases are becoming clearer and clearer uh, as time goes on. And I'll leave it to the audience to uncover what they think that is. But
0: uh, That's always such a fun game, mm-hmm. I think. What is the bias and why? That
1: is what is so interesting. I'll go ahead and spoiler alert. is uh, <laughs> they, they have a the very, very arms- you know, their particular brand is that they... They publish everything that they can find negative on Hillary Clinton. Now, whether you like or don't like Hillary Clinton is immaterial, but their particular point is really just trying to focus on the most damning aspect of it uh, for her candidacy. And it isn't even positioned as a position. It's just using the sort of uh uh-oh tactic, uh, (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better Uh, term. So I'm going to just leave that at that because I've already kind of droned on about this a little too long. But like uh, I, I have to say that I think they can do better. Query
0: listeners at home whether this is a bias, a true bias against the Clinton campaign or whether this is an orchestrated to put negative, the most damning negative information out there James Carville style so that everybody knows it it's broken by them instead of Fox News they can gauge how people react to it and then it's done by the time the campaign's in super full swing. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I have no way of knowing. Hillary, call me. But that's a
1: suspicion I have. Could be. What's your now. Who knows. So
0: BBC News, because I love the BBC, has uh, asked a group of mathematicians and physicists what they think the most beautiful equations are and why. And so there are I think 15 different equations that for each equation a different scientist talks about why there's beauty in this equation. And it's things like uh, because of the way that it repeats in nature or because of the way that it resolves itself. It's really, really interesting. And the way that the scientists talk about these things is poetry. Descriptions are just beautiful. We often in our heads draw a really clear demarcation between art and poetry and language and then math and science. And this is kind of a really nice reminder that these things are all integrated where they should be.
1: Waiting for the maybe photographers or illustrators in the crowd to come out and take these equations and then bring them into Relief and in some way. Because I think that would be the next kind of cool, you know, realization of that. Or taking video art and making it sort of a version of the equation but in experience and to so that because i think a lot of times you know these things are beautiful but frankly math equations are maybe too dense for some people to grasp especially as they become more and more complicated having some experience which is like this is what the experience of this math equation is yeah
0: like what's it like to feel pie yeah that would be amazing so, good idea get so. on that would
1: you <laughs> i'll see what we can do thank
0: you moving on to the next i can go first yeah if like. please uh Again, hearkening back to Mother England, the British Journal of Psychology has released a study where they set out to study whether people can perceive other people's traits simply by looking at them. Previous research and what's often referred to as like some sort of mind reading or Sherlock Holmes quality focused on perception of other people's states. So I can look at you and I know by your facial expressions, by your body stance, I know that you're, you're angry, you're happy, you're nervous, whatever it is, but I was just all of those things. (laughs) it's very complicated. (laughs) But what science had not been able to show is that by looking at a person, I could know traits about them. So the trait that they studied on, that in this particular they focused on in this particular study is empathy. And so they studied could other people perceive the subjects' levels of empathy by looking at their behavior, by listening to their tone of voice? And I think they also had something um, by reading something that they'd written. Mm. And so what they found is, when looking at a person and observing their physical stance and their features and their expressions, people were able to predict with pretty spot-on accuracy people with really high levels of empathy and people with really low levels of empathy. Average didn't, you know, register, which isn't surprising. Um, for tone of voice, it's a thumb rap.
1: Every <laughs> time being average, just so sad.
0: For tone of voice, they were only able to detect really high levels of empathy, low levels of empathy. They weren't able to discern, oh, this person has a very low level of empathy. It was either high or nothing. It is very interesting because it's the first study that's been able to show predictive assessment of traits. And they're excited about it because it means that we can kind of better assess who will be receptive to our messages, who will be good allies, and who's trustworthy. They're going to do more studies on this and I think that's exciting.
1: I feel very good about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. I'll bring this uh, bring the show home with a final next from me uh which is about it's a service called OpenTest. And what OpenTest uh is trying to do is essentially make the product testing of either your app or your website, something that you can can, it's a commodity, but previously services had been focused on hiring people for a certain amount of money, but you never really knew who the people were that were testing. So you didn't really understand the quality of the feedback they were providing, if it was actually valuable to you or if it was something that you should just ignore. This particular service is focused on getting people who have a product testing background, good idea. To go in and give you the feedback that can be valuable and engaging whether or not you're product or service or your website or whatever it happens to be is functioning the way that you think it is it's pretty exciting we'll post the link to it on our show page uh we're we're going to test it out and uh we would be curious to see if anybody else has uh, feedback on that
0: (laughs) For anybody who has not had experience with product testing or product testers, give just a little quick synopsis of what product testers do that's different from like just giving it to your friend to say, beat this up.
1: Well, a product tester is going to look at it with very astute eyes. And they're going to say like, I intuitively knew to do this on your, let's say a website, for instance, or I didn't know how to do this. Or this is the thing that happened when I clicked on this this piece. And the two the product tester and your friend may have the exact same experience. The difference is that the product tester can articulate what was happening. They can give you the information so that you can resolve the issue or so that you can understand the frustration that they felt. That's such a huge... As we move into the next tier of online services and digital services, that's going to become increasingly important because the, the, the speed with which we expect to get the information has increased. We expect it to be lightning fast. And our frustration level uh, that we're willing to have is quite low. Having this kind of service, I think, is the real, you know, can be a solve to helping your product be the best that it can be
0: and it's actionable feedback versus somebody saying you know i just i don't know i don't like it it. it's just not working for me so in doing the cost benefit analysis it is nine and nine tenths out of ten times worth paying in a product tester to test the thing because you will save yourself all of the time hassle and expense of trying to kind of figure out what a non-professional product tester is telling you
1: honestly back to the top of the show um, it's the kind of thing that can maybe quash some of these egocentric choices that we make and cause us to maybe reevaluate some of those decisions and say you know what 10 people said this was a bad idea maybe it's a bad idea no yeah still not.
0: (laughs) 10 people who don't recognize my brilliance that's the way it is on that note (laughs) thank you for listening we will be back next week So, Brian, tell everyone at home where they can find us.
1: We have a new website at ittt.io. We also can be found at Twitter with their podcast is the podcast uh, Twitter feed. At Graphic Machine is the agency uh, Twitter feed. And also our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash graphicmachineinc.
0: And you can find the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please subscribe and uh, please rate us if you would be so kind.
1: And share with a friend.
0: Yes, or many friends. We all need more friends. Indeed. Make a new friend with a podcast. Until next week, have a good one. We'll talk to you then.